Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. The second aspect of our afflicted society is extreme materialism. An Asian writer has portrayed our dilemma in candid terms. He says, you call your thousand material devices labor-saving machinery, yet you are forever busy. With the multiplying of your machinery, you grow increasingly fatigued, anxious, nervous, dissatisfied. Whatever you have, you want more, and wherever you are, you want to go somewhere else. Your devices are neither time-saving nor soul-saving machinery. They are so many sharp spurs which urge you on to invent more machinery and to do more business. This tells us something about our civilization that cannot be cast aside as a prejudiced charge by an Eastern thinker who is jealous of Western prosperity. We cannot escape the indictment. This does not mean that we must turn back the clock of scientific progress. No one can overlook the wonders that science has wrought for our lives. The automobile will not abdicate in favor of the horse and buggy, or the train in favor of the stagecoach, or the tractor in favor of the hand plow, or the scientific method in favor of ignorance and superstition. But our moral lag must be redeemed. When scientific power outruns moral power, we end up with guided missiles and misguided men. Martin Luther King Jr., The Three Evils of Society. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I had come to die, discover that I had not lived. Henry David Thoreau. In the 2007 Oxford Junior Dictionary, the words acorn, ash, bluebell, conquer, dandelion, kingfisher, otter, and pasture have been replaced by words like block graph, blog, bullet point, celebrity, chat room, and cut and paste. The Oxford University Press explained that these are the things that now comprise a child's life. Hi, this is Katie Marquette, and you are listening to Born of Wonder. We're starting today's episode uh, with a few quotes there. Um, Amazing first quote there from Martin Luther King, and of course, famously, from Henry David Thoreau. Um, Two quotes, I think, that emphasize... uh, the dilemma that uh, that the modern person finds themselves in, this dilemma with technology. Uh, I think that none of us are immune. We are living in a technological age, and the subject of today's episode is going to be how to retain, maintain, and cultivate wonder in a digital age. Um, 
this is I want I always want this podcast to be uplifting and encouraging and I I hope that sometimes when we get on these sort of topics it can seem a, a little doom and gloom and that's not my intention I also uh, despite how I feel some days uh, have no plans to um, run off into the woods and uh, live a Luddite existence so I am um, planning to use technology in my life and I'm constantly trying to figure out the best way to do that uh, I will I'll just tell you that I have a hard time with it I um, this is sort of embarrassing to say but I have to delete social media from my phone almost every few days so that I can uh, not become addicted to it or become less addicted to it um, I will just delete the Instagram app um, and re-download it every few days so that I can have um, have a day or two without it uh, because otherwise I'll just be logging on all the time and I think it's that uh, it's I don't have a problem with and I and I actually like many many of the aspects of social media and the internet and all sorts of things but it's that habitual um, just the fact of like if if I'm alone in a room and my hand goes to my phone and also the way that time just seems to change when you're on your devices how you can go online to send one email or respond to one text and suddenly you've spent an hour scrolling sort of mindlessly and uh, and I don't I don't want to live that way and I also don't want to be taken out of um, my my current moment I don't want to lose um, the spontaneity and realness of of real life um, by being sucked into this uh, into this tiny screen in my hands so how how can we do that how can we find a balance can we find a balance that is what we are going to be talking about today um, here are just a few statistics for you this is just the reality of the world that we are living in in 2020 there are 3.5 billion smartphone users around the world 77% of Americans have smartphones, and 47% of U.S. smartphone users say they couldn't live without their devices. 47%, almost half of the users, said they couldn't live without their devices. 62% of smartphone users have made a purchase on the device. Uh, smartphone users worldwide will reach 3.8 billion in 2021. Uh, and 65.6% of Americans check their phones up to 160 times a day. So again, this is this is just the world we're living in. This is it, it's hard to believe that smartphones have really only begin been such a presence in our lives for uh, a decade or so. Um, that have been so omnipresent. The way that they have just completely changed uh, the way we we live our lives. Um, well over half of us are checking our phones up to 160 times a day. Uh, that that one statistic about just uh, nearly half people will say they couldn't live without their phone. Clearly, this is something that is not going away. We we are all uh, we are all sucked into this this world <laughs> in our phone, um, and it's not surprising, right? I mean, you get a dopamine hit almost every time you check it. You um, you get a new message. You get uh, you get a like on a photo you post on social media. That is a direct uh, hit to your brain. And I know just currently right now in the news, uh, it, 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 there are all sorts of questions about Instagram and Facebook and how much uh, the creators of these algorithms knew about um, about the addictive qualities and how damaging it could be, especially to teenagers and young people, and especially to teenage girls who are, I, I mean, I, I don't mind dating myself. I just turned 30. So I, I feel like my, my husband and I were saying we're like the last generation that can remember um, a childhood that was not totally dominated by electronics. And uh, wow, I mean, high school and middle school is 
hard enough and dramatic enough without social media, without um, smartphones. So I just, I can't even imagine what young people are going through today, what sort of complex uh, social realities exist because of social media. And, um, and, and these companies know what they're doing. They know, uh, they know how addictive it is. Um, just recently, I, uh, my phone just completely went kaput on me. I take terrible care of my phones. It was cracked. It, it was a long time coming. So this phone uh, just died on me and uh, I wasn't able to get a new phone for a week. So I was without a phone for a week. And uh, of course, I found it very liberating in many ways, frustrating in some ways too, um, in many ways, but uh, I adjusted much faster than I thought I would. And uh, you do really notice uh, that, that you your, your brain actually thinks differently the way you encounter time, the way time moves, uh, the, the sort of fragmented way of our thinking when we're on these devices all the time. It's very, it was very evident to me, uh, especially I, I'm, I'm home with the baby um, pretty much all day, a lot of times by myself. Um, and I sort of had thought to myself, oh, this is good to be online a lot. So I sort of get adult interaction and things like that throughout the day. But I actually found the day uh, much more fragmented, my attention split, um, my thinking less clear um, it, it, when, I, when I have the phone. And I don't think I was necessarily uh, fulfilled by that. Uh, I think I was much more fulfilled by sort of having um, a very connected time with my baby and then having uh, connected in-person time with adults. And I think that's, that's what we're, we're meant for. Um, we're not really meant to socialize this way. Um, so this is just the world we're living in. Um, I wanted to share, so the way I wanted to talk through this episode um, was just to sort of, again, I have no, no judgment on anybody about how they do or don't use uh, social media or their phone or whatever. Um, I am working through this on a daily basis and this is just a, a way to, for me to work through some of these ideas. So I thought I would, um, I, I thought I would, uh, start out by, uh, reading a bit from a blog post and I'll just read the beginning. Uh, and if you find it intriguing, you can go online and read the rest. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, this is an essay I wrote last year called the dangerous digitization of our lives. And I have, as the cover photo I show um, when uh, when Pope Francis became Pope and when Pope Benedict became Pope and what the crowds looked like. And of course, in uh, when Pope Francis became Pope, you see just this sea of phones, everybody holding up to take the same exact picture. Uh, and it, when Pope Benedict became Pope, um, you see like maybe one or two digital cameras and people actually watching what's happening in front of them. So this is just a little bit of my uh, personal story about when I tried to uh, live a life without a smartphone. So I'll just read that and then um, we'll go into maybe some, some ways that we can continue to, to find wonder um, in spite of or even because of our uh, use of electronics. And if there is a middle way, how do we find that? Uh, maybe some resources that we can all use. And um, I'm gonna end the episode with some brilliant uh, poetry and some brilliant music. So I think that that will leave us all in an encouraged and uh, convicted uh, state of mind. That's my hope at least. The year was 2013 and I found myself in a Verizon store desperately trying to explain that I did not want to take advantage of my free upgrade. In fact, I wanted to turn in my smartphone and downgrade to a simple flip phone. 
At the time, although we all used social media to some extent, it was still acceptable to be unreachable some of the time, and most of us still relied on actual cameras because the quality of our smartphone photos was relatively poor. In other words, the smartphone had not yet taken over our lives. Yet even in this more innocent time of technology use, I was already wary of this device. It distracted me constantly, and I felt in a strong and divisive way that it was robbing me of something fundamentally human, something fundamentally real. This sounds dramatic, and the Verizon liaison thought so too. He kept reminding me of the many benefits. What about your music, your videos, your ability to Google on command? I brushed these positions... I brushed his petitions aside and finally convinced him I was truly serious about this backwards notion of mine. I walked out of the store with my clunky flip phone, feeling light and clear. I enjoyed my time without a smartphone. Texting was difficult, so I didn't text as much. I lugged around my digital camera and took the time to upload photos to my laptop, a sometimes arduous process. I printed out directions from MapQuest or Google Maps. And if I wanted to look something up, I often had to wait until I got home to check Google. Life went on. I felt a fog in my mind lift, and I often found myself somewhat amused, somewhat sad, when I would be the only one looking up in line at the grocery store or even at the dinner table. In fact, after college graduation, my then-boyfriend, now-husband, and I set off on a hike around Northern Ireland called the Ulster Way. It was wildly ambitious, and we were out-of-shape college kids, far more adept at drinking beer and lounging around campfires than tackling 17-mile hikes lugging heavy packs. The trip was, in many ways, disastrous. We had planned poorly and were in no way well-equipped to take on the ambitious route we had mapped out. Our struggles were compounded by the fact that neither of us had a smartphone. Instead, we had rented an international phone, also a flip phone. This phone, our one link to civilization, I somehow managed to drop down St. Patrick's well. On this trip, we often relied on the kindness of strangers. They helped us when we were lost, gave us rides, invited us to their homes, showed us their favorite locks and pubs. I don't think we would have met so many people or had as many varied, strange, wonderful experiences if we had been toting around a smartphone with all its promises of connectivity and convenience. So that's just the, the start of, uh, of an essay I wrote. Um, I did not last too long in my smartphone-less life because I then went on to graduate school where it seemed like a smartphone was an expectation and a necessity. I was the director of communications for the Graduate School Association and constantly on call and constantly being emailed. And I got a smartphone again and quickly, uh, you know, life went on the way it does with the smartphone and on social media and things like that. So uh, you can you can read more about what happened and my thoughts on it. Um, I read a book uh, by Cal Newport. He's most famous for his concept of deep work and his thoughts on attention. Uh, and he wrote a book uh, about uh, called Digital Minimalism, where he sort of proposes his ideas about uh, about how to use technology in a healthy way. And I did find that book very helpful. And I quote quite a bit from that book in the essay. So those are just a few of my thoughts. I also wanted to, it's sort of a long, uh, a long letter, uh, but it's a really remarkable one. And uh, it's by a man named Mark Boyle. uh, And he wrote a book called The Way Home Tales from a Life Without Technology. And, uh, and 
the writing of that book uh, happened after he wrote this this letter, uh, which is is here printed in the Guardian uh, back in 2016. So, really, as you listen to this letter, think about if this is something that you would or could do, and uh, and uh, what 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 we make of his decisions and um, why why he's chosen the lifestyle that he has. So. This is a, an article in The Guardian called Technology Destroys People and Places, I'm Rejecting It by Mark Boyle. I'll never know how many people liked this article, shared it, or found it irrelevant, anti-progressive, or ironic. Nor will I get to read comments about my personal hygiene or suggesting that a Luddite like me needs to embrace industrialism. And that is no bad thing. For the moment, writing becomes a popularity contest, rewarding sensationalism, groupthink, and deceit over honest exploration of complex matters. People and places lose, and those who need to be held to account win. Win, that is, for a short-sighted moment. The reason I won't see any web reaction is because I live in a cabin, built with spruce, oak, hands, straw, Douglas fir, stubbornness, earth, and knees, without electricity or so-called modern conveniences. I've never found doing the work to buy and maintain them particularly convenient. From Wednesday, I'm rejecting the world of complex technology entirely. That means no laptop, no internet, no phone, no washing machine, no tapped water, no gas, no fridge, no television or electronic music, no anything requiring the copper mining, oil rigging, plastics manufacturing essential to the production of a single toaster or solar photovoltaic system. Having already rejected these industrial-scale, complex technologies, I intend to move fully towards what is pejoratively called primitive technology. Insofar as engaging with civilization allows, I'm also trying to resist the modern domination of what Jay Griffiths and Pip-Pip calls clock time and failing daily. That probably sounds like I've given up a lot of stuff. And while I intend to be clear and honest about the difficulties involved over the coming months, especially in the digital age, I'm just as fascinated in exploring what lessons about life, myself, society, the natural world I might learn. Perhaps things my cyborg mind cannot yet imagine. Rejecting technologies that my generation considers to be the basic necessities of life wasn't done on a thoughtless whim. I already miss not being able to pick up the phone and talk to my parents. Writing is different, my pencil unaided by both copy and paste and the easy delete two-word processing functions reflective of a generic, transient, and whimsical culture, and it has been a while since the media and publishing worlds worked by snail mail. I decided to eschew complex technology for two reasons. The first was that I found myself happier away from screens and the relentless communication they generate, and instead living intimately with my locale. The second, more important, was the realization that technology destroys in more ways than one. It destroys our relationship with the natural world. It first separates us from nature, while simultaneously converting life into the cash that oils consumerist society. Not only does it enable us to destroy habitat efficiently, over time this separation has led us to valuing the natural world less, meaning we protect and care for it less. By way of this vicious technological cycle, we are consciously causing the sixth mass extinction of species. Technology destroys places. 
Aside from the oceans, rivers, topsoils, forests, mountains, and meadows, it helps us massacre and pollute with ever-improving precision and speed. Its complex set of cogs quickly spreads us out all over the world, safe in the knowledge that we can stay in touch with loved ones via technologies that offer what is really only a toxic substitute for real connection and time together. It is badly injuring, perhaps fatally, rural communities, luring their youth into industrial and financial centers, cities whose existence is premised, as the American writer and environmentalist Wendell Berry said, on the devastation of some other far-flung place, which consumers don't have to look at thanks to the out-of-sight, out-of-mind distance afforded by technology. When I walk to the spring to collect water in the morning, I meet neighbors and we talk. Yes, it takes time, something I found frustrating at first, but slowness only became a bad thing when time became money. Walking four miles to the post office to send my letters takes time too, but it ties me to people and place in a way that sitting in my bedroom on my own, writing endless emails could never do. Technology destroys people. We're already cyborgs of a sort and are well on our way to the type of big brother dystopia of the techno-utopians. And look at the state of us. Our toxic, sedentary lifestyles are causing industrial-scale afflictions of cancer, mental illness, obesity, heart disease, autoimmune disorders, food tolerances, along with those slow killers, loneliness, clock-watching, and meaninglessness. My life has its fair share of irony, and it can look hypocritical. Despite originally writing these words, a technology, with a pencil, a technology, in a handcrafted cabin, a technology, the irony of this being an online blog is not lost on me. That is my compromise for now. For if you want to contribute to a healthier society, compromise can be a healthy thing if you know your boundaries. Being a hypocrite is always my highest ideal, as it means I've set higher standards for myself to strive for than I'm achieving at any one moment. We know that, at the very least, some technologies are harming our natural world, our societies, and ultimately ourselves. Therefore, we can recognize the need to reject some technologies. If we're to avoid technological extremism, we're going to have to draw the line in the sand somewhere. I've drawn mine, and I will only move it in the direction of my home. So, a pretty incredible letter there by Mark Boyle. Um, and the book is pretty incredible, too. And actually, uh, that uh, fact about uh, the changing words in the dictionary that I quoted at the beginning, I learned from his book. Um, pretty interesting and sad, really, um, to see what uh, childhood consists of now. Um, if you want to read that whole the whole letter he wrote, uh, there's a I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but uh, you know, this is this is I'm always fascinated by people who sort of take their convictions uh, all the way, you know, um, and uh, we can disagree with him or or not. Um, I don't know if it's because I disagree with him or I'm a weaker person than him that I say I would never do that. <laughs> but um, I, I'm always fascinated by people who 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 live these things out, and uh, and I do have. Um, in my moments of, in, in my in my week without a phone, I had sort of a dystopian experience. I was reading Wendell Berry, and you know, was not uh, was was hardly on any technology at all. And I was sort of driving around and just seeing so many advertisements and thing like things like that. And I just felt like I was living in a dystopia, really, in that social media that I was just feeding it uh, all these things about my personal life so that it could 
uh, <laughs> make ads specifically for me and that I could continue to buy things, which I do. I mean, I don't know how many times I've bought things from social media ads. So um, when I get in those moods, I am very sympathetic to somebody like Mark Boyle and I want to just throw my phone away and run off. But I would be uh, neglectful if I did not mention the many, many good things that have happened um, because of technology. Um, number one being uh, podcasting, being the blog, being my ability to write and share and connect with people in a way that um, I couldn't be otherwise. And I've met people from around the world. I have pen pals around the world, pen pals with a little, literally that we write letters with um, and friends that I've stayed in touch with that way too. Um, that's the thing about social media. It's, I, I think that it's, it can be fine if we don't um, confuse it for the real thing. I think that too, unfortunately we think that it can act as a substitute um, that it, it can be the same as uh, as as real in-depth friendships, that sending a text is the same as sending a letter, and it's not. Um, I have a good friend uh, that I studied abroad with um, almost 10, 10 years ago now, and uh, we've, we've written letters for about six or seven years now, and even though we text and email and see each other in person maybe once every other year, uh, we share a lot in those letters, and they're much more intimate and... Uh, meaningful I think and uh, and I feel much more in touch with her by sort of going through those slower means um I like the the slowness of a real relationship and the thought that is needed uh is is what constitutes a real connection and real friendship and I think that while texts and um you know whatsapp memos and all these things that I use all the time uh are are well and fine they they just aren't the real thing and I think that um I think that just the danger with all this technology is that it robs us of time. You know, if you go back to listen to my previous episode, all about time is that uh, it, it has a way of flattening time and of us losing ourselves in these devices while sort of the real world goes on uh, goes on without us. And it can form some very dangerous habits, even things like if my husband gets up to go take the dogs out or something, I reach for my phone and I start scrolling and I'm sort of out of the moment in a way that I wouldn't be if I picked up my book. And of course, then I read less because I get lost in the phone. And um, while 10 minutes on my phone here and there doesn't seem like a lot, it does add up. Um, wasn't it John Lennon who said, you know, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. So a day um, spent scrolling social media, while it may seem harmless in the moment, can it quickly becomes our whole life. So I think that is the danger. I think that is um, what I worry about is not um, the existence of these things, but how we use them. And when people say, oh, it's just a tool, I always say, well, you know, a hammer is a tool and I don't feel the need to compulsively pick it up all the time and use it. And, um, you know, when a hardware store sells you a hammer, they don't make any money uh, based on how many times you use it. They, they've already made their money in selling it to you. So there's no... Um, no reason for them to hope you use it every day. Um, whereas with social media, they um, they rely on you um, being on it constantly. Your time is the product. So um, that's, I think, what we have to be careful about. Uh, and whenever um, whenever I, I almost want to just sign off for good, I remember that, like it or not, this is the world we live in. You know, I might wish that uh, social media didn't exist, um, but it does. And uh, I think that we can be like Mark Boyle and Thoreau and go um, hide out in the cabin. And that maybe is a calling for some people. 
Um, but for those of us who want to connect with people who who enjoy sharing uh, our lives and um, have made really, really deep, meaningful connections that way, I think that um, it would be a shame to do that. So I'm still figuring out the middle way. I don't know if there is one. Um, you know, I try things like I have, you know, a public social media account for, for this uh, blog and podcast. I have a private one where I probably share too many photos of the baby, which if you knew how many pictures I take of this child, you would see that I was actually exhibiting extreme restraint. <laughs> and I always try to go through and, you know, edit my friends list and say, oh, am, am I still in touch with them? Or do I, do I know them? Or, or did I like meet them once, uh, you know, 10 years ago? And um, I try to, you know, curtail that list that way. But every now and then, uh, you know, I make a connection or reconnect with, with somebody based on something that I've shared on social media. And then I think, well, maybe I should sort of leave some of these acquaintances, um, especially, you know, people who have become moms that I haven't talked to in years and years and years. Uh, motherhood has a way of connecting you with people, um, no matter when you knew them or anything. And uh, if they share a picture of their baby, we're suddenly talking about, you know, breastfeeding or something <laughs> in our Instagram direct messages. So of course there's value there of course real things happen there but i think it's in spite of the technology not because of it i think it's because of the um amazing resilient quality of human relationships and our deep need to connect with people that we can make these technologies work in a beneficial way but i think we're working against the system i think that that is sort of our um, rebellious cry of uh of humanity in this technological age is that we make these addictive, um, dangerous <laughs> technologies uh, still do some good in the world. So I think that that, that is because of us um, and the human spirit, not because of the technology. So I don't know uh, really if I have any conclusion other than just to be to be a mindful participant in your own life. Um, don't let these technologies rob you uh, of, of, of moments with your family of, of living in the real world. Um, I, in a true hipster fashion, I have an old Polaroid, which I like to use because uh, that film is expensive. So you only take a few photos every now and then, and you have to sort of plan your photographs a bit more. Um, sometimes I also will sort of make a challenge to myself if we're going on outing, say, okay, you can only take five pictures. So think about what you want those to be because, um, with our ability to just take so many pictures, you can spend the whole day, you know, having a photo shoot, um, which I've done plenty of times, my husband will tell you. So um, he hates it. Okay, no, no, let's do the pose just a little differently. My arm looked weird in that one. You know, he, uh, he wants just one and done. And it's always the first picture that was the good one anyway. So there are little things I think we can do to just make sure that we um, put some healthy distance between ourselves and these technologies. And then um, when we do use them, that we use them in a spirit of connectivity, that we don't um, maybe engage in some of the inflammatory uh, political discourse. I've never seen anything good come out of an argument on Facebook. Um, I don't know if I've shared this, but I, I have a master's in conflict resolution. Um, isn't there something like if you're like a conflict prone person, you'll be drawn to something like that. So I love a good debate. And uh, <laughs> uh, in any case, there's there's no um, there's no mediation course that's going to tell you to 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 
duke it out in the comments section on Facebook. So maybe stay away from that. So anyway, uh, rambling here, but I hope this was, you know, thought provoking and maybe you'll look up Mark Boyle and look up some of these other things and then just make a plan and use technology in a way that, that, uh, allows you to participate in the world, be a part of the world, um, and not, uh, not taken out of it so often. So I want to end with a sort of rallying cry of sorts. Um, one of my absolute favorite, uh, favorite poems. Um, it's called The Mad Farmer's Liberation Front by Wendell Berry. It's a long poem. I'm doing a lot of reading today, so hopefully you haven't zoned out too much, but this poem is really, really powerful. I tried to find audio of him reading it, and I couldn't, so you'll have to put up with me. Uh, and then at the end, I will play out some of Dvorak's New World Symphony, um, which I just find to be some of the most powerful, inspiring music. Uh, I have a distinct memory of, I think it was last fall um, when I still had my convertible bug. I now have a, a mom car, but I had it my convertible uh, VW bug and the fall foliage was just incredible right at its peak and it was a day that was like 60 degrees I had my top down and I was just blasting this <laughs> this symphony uh driving these back roads that's just a memory that uh evokes evokes the wonder that this symphony inspires for me so uh I hope that uh it, it inspires you can you can go online and listen to the whole thing I'll put a link to a, a YouTube video that has the whole symphony um but um, yeah, I hope this was convicting. I hope it's thought-provoking, and um, hopefully we can continue to um, live in a way that uh, stays in awe of the world in spite of, maybe because of, these technologies that we hold in our hands. So um, I'm Katie Marquette, and you've been listening to Born of Wonder. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance. For what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Prophecy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to the carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap for power, please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields. 
Lie easy in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest in your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. Here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs> 